morning we're going to be reading from the book of John, the third chapter. I feel like we've spent a lot of time the last handful of weeks between these stories of the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus. Um, you, if you know much about me at all when it comes to these sorts of things, these are probably two of my favorite stories uh, in the scripture the interactions that Jesus has with people. And I think I love these stories so well because I'm able to find a way to connect them, even though the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus had absolutely nothing to do with each other, probably never met, their paths never crossed, were probably never even in the same town at the same time. I think it's interesting that Jesus had the conversations with these, uh, with these two people, with Nicodemus, uh, in the third chapter of John and with the Samaritan woman in the next chapter. But we're not going to talk about the Samaritan woman this week. We did that a week ago, two weeks ago. Today we're going to talk about Nicodemus. Let's read the story. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? So Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of flesh is the flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised when I said to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? And Jesus answered, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Sometimes I wish Jesus would just come right out and say what he's trying to say. <laughs> we wouldn't have to read between all those lines sometimes. So, when I was young, my older brother told me that chocolate milk came from chocolate cows. <laughs> I didn't know any better. <laughs> I had no proof that said otherwise, and I knew that chocolate milk had to come from somewhere, and so it made perfect sense and in my little mind that chocolate cows made chocolate milk. I don't know how long I believed it, but there was a time in my life when I believed that chocolate milk came from chocolate cows. I also used to believe that swallowing watermelon seeds would cause watermelons to grow in your belly. And that my school teachers lived at school and never left. And all those people on the radio somehow lived in that little box, that little thing. And I believed that if I ate enough carrots, I'd be able to see in the dark. And it's a shame that I didn't like carrots more than I did because that would have been really cool. I used to believe a lot of stuff like that when I was a kid. And honestly, sometimes I wish I still did. But now I know better. And I know that much of what I believed as a kid just isn't true. 
the innocence of believing and understanding things like a child is beautiful in a way. And childlike ignorance is too, as long as you're a child. <laughs> but eventually we all grow up and we discover that a lot of what we were pretty sure of as children just isn't true at all. And sometimes we learn the truth about something and it rocks our world and sometimes we just start putting two and two together and we realize what the truth is. Sometimes it happens suddenly, sometimes it happens gradually. Uh, there uh, could be some kids here this morning and there may be some watching online so I don't want to get too descriptive here, but I can tell you, oh God, I can tell you exactly where I was the hallway that I was standing in at Waco Elementary School when I learned what my parents did to make me. <laughs> I remember arguing with the guy who accused my parents of doing that <laughs> and worrying that if it was true, they were probably going to hell because everybody who did that thing was going to hell. That sort of thing meant my poor, poor parents were going to hell. I laid awake several nights worrying about it until I finally mentioned it to my older brother and he told me it was true. <laughs> but he said it was okay because apparently he had asked somebody else about it and they told him that God's okay with it as long as you're doing it to make kids. That was a relief. It was still gross, <laughs> but it was a pretty big relief. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you, what are some of the crazy, crazy things that you believed as a child? Anybody have something that just like one of the really crazy things that you believed as a kid? You can just shout it out. Yeah. If you pee in the pool, it turns the water purple. Is that not true? I don't know. I've never tested it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I lived in Ohio near Smuckers. Yeah. And I'd see the great big 18-wheelers, and I thought they were full of jars of jelly. Not in boxes, not on pallets. Just, just jars. Big, just jars sitting in the... <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, how cool. Would that be If you keep spinning, you turn into Wonder Woman? Enid, you are Wonder <laughs> No, you are Wonder Woman. <laughs> I love it. Anybody else got anything? Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? If you planted money in the ground, a dollar tree would grow. That's pretty awesome. Anybody got anything else? Yeah. Oh. oh, wow. That could be isolating, couldn't it? Wow. We believe a lot of things uh, when we're kids and then we grow up. We become adults. A lot of us here, most of us here at BUCC have some form of church experience somewhere else at another church. Maybe you're like me. Uh, and that you grew up in church, 
maybe you're like me and that it was a really big part of your life, maybe even the biggest part of your life. And then somewhere along the way, if you're like me, you became bored with it or dissatisfied with what you were getting from it. Or maybe you started asking questions, maybe some serious questions. And you were disappointed because you were only met with unserious or stock answers. I don't know how many times when I was younger I would try to talk to my youth pastor or one of the other spiritual mentors at our church. I would try to talk to them about some hard things, some difficult things that I was dealing with, only to be met with these passive responses like, just give it to Jesus or turn it over to God. And I had no idea what that meant. Honestly, I still have no idea what that means, to give it to Jesus and to turn it over to God. And I want to say this, if you ever come to me as your pastor and I say something like that to you, I respond to you like that, I want you to call me out on it. I'll need to be called out on it. You have my permission to look me in the eye and tell me to do better because that answer is not good enough. Because between you and me, that's not a good answer. And you deserve more than that. I deserved more than that. I will say that my own church experience growing up and as a young adult was not as traumatic as some others I've heard, but it wasn't pleasant either. After following the education and the other requirements that my denomination had in place for ordained preaching and pastoral ministry. And after serving in pastoral and other ministerial roles for several years, I finally came to a place where I knew that I could not be my authentic self and serve the church too. I knew that I was a gay man and I knew where my denomination stood on that. So one morning, I drove to our denomination's headquarters and I handed my ministerial credentials and my ordination papers uh, directly to the top person there. He was kind and thoughtful and loving and pretty sad about it. He never showed any harshness or judgment toward me. He held me and He loved me through a really, really hard time. I drove back home feeling relieved that I no longer had to stand in front of crowds and congregations pretending to be someone else. I also felt relieved that I was no longer a professional Christian. It'd be years after that day before I would seriously go to church again. I just didn't have a desire. I didn't trust it, and I didn't believe what they were saying, and I knew that some of the people saying it didn't believe it either. As a professional gospel singer, I'd been behind the scenes of too many of the big TV ministries and, and TV churches and the Christian TV shows, and I knew what motivated so many of those big names in that scene. They were willing to say whatever it took to bring in the money, and they said some pretty bizarre things. In the years that I was away from church, I started questioning some of the things that I once believed. For me, I never found myself angry 
at the church of my upbringing or the people who led me there. As much as I now question its validity and its trustworthiness, I still very much appreciated the community that I found there. Some of the most genuine, loving, and sincere people on the earth were a part of my life, and many of them only through my church. I was, and I'm still very, very grateful for that. But I still felt that I had been asked to believe things and even preach things that were just too difficult to conflate. In one breath, I'm told that God is love, that the only thing God can do is love, and that God has no choice but to love. And then without even a pause for breath, I'm hearing of God's harsh and relentless judgment on humanity by burning them and drowning them and starving them and sending angels to kill them. Somehow I'm supposed to be able to reconcile a God of glorious eternal heaven with one of torturous unending hell. I'm supposed to believe it's true that the same omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnibenevolent, supremely good God who transcends life and death and time and eternity loses the ability to rescue me from fiery punishment once I've stopped breathing. The God who knows everything, has the power to do anything, and is perfectly good is suddenly none of those things for me. And somehow, I'm supposed to be able to find a way to reconcile all of that. Or if I can't, just get over it and believe that God is the way God is. And then we're warned not to question why we believe what we believe. Stan Mitchell is a good friend of mine, and he's probably one of the most powerful Christian thinkers and communicators of our day. I've shared some of his thoughts here before, but on this idea of adjusting and growing in our thinking on biblical and sacred things, he says this, In every discipline of study, from mathematics to economics to biology to astronomy to medicine and all the other things, the human family continues to discover and accumulate new information. Why on earth would spirituality and religion be the one discipline in which we would expect to do otherwise? Why on earth would we expect to have found and fixed a single set of spiritual and religious ideas garnered from one group, from one location, and from one time? He continues... To that end, Paul the Apostle, as well as the other authors of the Christian Bible, are thinkers whose ideas I'm very much informed by, even admire. In the same way, the person who invented the wheel was the hero of Newton, Pascal, Edison, and Einstein. The point is this. Ancient thinkers and explorers did not leave us with what to think, as much as they left us with a model of how and reasons why. They did not leave us with a set of sacrosanct conclusions that we're forever and always duty-bound to accept without question. Instead, they inspired us to gratefully and curiously stand on their shoulders and continue our exploring. 
Frankly, he said, I doubt that Paul ever intended his theological reflections to be final answers. And so, as best as I can tell, Stan says, the earliest Christians are helpful and lovely when recognized as the first, not final, interpreters of the life of Jesus. When the early Christian church is understood as a blessed and bright-eyed infant, not a fully developed archetype or completely mature sage. He continues, Truth be told, the greatest thinkers in human history have been those who were humbly progressive for their time, not arrogantly conclusive for all time. Isn't that powerful? I was never allowed to think like that when I was younger, and neither was Stan. <laughs> he and I grew up in much the same church environment where it was very strict and there was little to no room to think beyond what we were told by our pastors and our elders. I'm glad that Stan has broken free from that kind of bondage. I'm glad that I have broken free. I'm glad that you have broken free or in the process of finding your freedom. In this place, you have all the freedom you need to explore who God is and to reimagine God and to discover the God who cherishes being in your presence and loving on you and being your friend. A few minutes ago, we read that scripture story about the devoutly religious man who came to Jesus because he was curious. His religion left him feeling empty. He wanted to know if it was possible to have a closer relationship with God, a closer relationship than the one his old and rigid religion couldn't provide. Of course, Jesus says, fixed it. Jesus says, of course, but it's going to require some rethinking on your part. It's going to require a willingness to start all over again, just like being born all over again. That's the lesson of Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus. Nicodemus had questions, how is that possible? Jesus told him that holding to, to old understandings, he called it being born of the flesh, will keep you bogged down and frustrated. But giving yourself permission to think in new ways and considering new understandings, he called that being born of the Spirit. And he said that it'll give you purpose and hope and optimism that brings freedom from those old oppressions. As their conversation continued, Jesus told Nicodemus that old ways of seeing and knowing God were about to change. He said there would be some who would not want to change their ideas about God. They'd never understand God as a God of love, but always as one who rules in judgment. But Jesus said, The light came into the world and the people loved darkness more than the light. Maybe you and I are alike in our unfortunate way that we were brought up and taught to see God. That was what 
we knew. Maybe we're alike in the way that we know God today. The God who can't seem to get enough of us. The God who always desires to be love to us. Who sees us and holds us and cherishes us and celebrates us. That, my friends, fortunately, is what we know. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Bluegrass United Church of Christ podcast. We'd love to have you join us for a service sometime. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 500 Don Anna Drive in Lexington, Kentucky. You can find us online at bluegrasschurch.org.